India does not have an innovator problem. We have a scale problem. We don't have a problem in new ideas being developed. We have a problem in those new ideas becoming scaled. And part of the work that we're doing around access is really around trying to make that path and journey effective. The other part is something which I think it's something we're going to have to see come in in some time, which is the whole climate inequality angle, wherein larger segments, uh, more high earning segments of the population are um, basically utilizing climate emissions at a significantly higher level as compared to lower segments of the population. Hi, wherever you're listening to us, I hope you're doing well. Welcome to the Daily Tech Conversation, where we bring you insights from tech entrepreneurs, CXOs and investors. I'm Hari Arakali. In this episode, Shravan Shankar and Simi Sarin, co-founders of Climake, a platform for climate tech funding and market access, discuss the latest edition of their flagship annual report, The State of Climate Finance in India 2023. Equity funding for climate tech decreased by 34% in 2022 from the previous year, although 2021 numbers were a bit skewed by eight large strategic IPO and post-IPO deals, they note. They also found that on the positive side, investments in sectors beyond renewables, such as agri-tech and waste and circularity, which urgently need to grow, increased significantly. Okay, uh, very nice. Uh, thank you both for making time for this. Uh, really appreciate it. So I think maybe we could start with a, a small recap of uh, what Climate Climate is about and also the annual, uh, this is like your flagship report, right? So yes. maybe a br- you know brief backgrounder about it for people who may not know about it, the more general audience, and then, then we'll go from there. Uh, Climate is now a four-year-old platform that Shravan and I set up. Uh, during COVID. And I think the idea was to build a whole ecosystem around climate tech and supporting early stage climate businesses and helping them grow. Uh, And we're doing this in three different ways at this point of time. Uh, We do a lot of research around what gaps exist in financing structures uh, and how to grow climate capital and uh, increase access to climate capital. Uh, As a more practical application of this research, uh, we offer advisory services to businesses, uh, uh, mostly early stage climate tech businesses uh, on how to access capital, both debt and equity. And finally, we are also building new pilots around financing structures that I think need to exist. And our first pilot is uh, climate asset financing, where we are helping what we think of as climate ed sectors. So new sectors who don't find asset financing that easily, um, structure innovating asset financing options. Uh, multiple different interventions, Hari, but all of them focused around how do we increase access to capital for climate businesses in India. And our flagship report that we publish once a year, the State of Climate Finance in India, uh, is actually, uh, I would say, a signpost for the entire climate investment community and climate startups on how to evaluate, how to look at what's happening in the world of climate finance. one important thing that we feel is required is for investors to see that the opportunity is huge, uh, that this is something they should focus their attention on. So this report focuses on essentially putting a number to how large the climate finance opportunity is and then breaking it down into 
which segments uh, will grow from here and are investment worthy and should essentially be the focus of both climate entrepreneurs and investors. And your uh, annual report is now into its third edition, is it? Or Yeah. That's correct. Uh, so tell us a bit about, uh, uh, I mean, Simi just mentioned it as uh, a signpost for anyone who's interested uh, in what's happening in the climate investment scene in India. And from that perspective, what is the kind of data you look to capture and uh, sure. you know, what is your objective? Yeah. Sure. Um, so one of the things of, and the motivations for why we wanted to come up with such a report was we saw a lot of thought leadership and say research insights being very historical. And we didn't see enough uh, trying to capture about um, what the next stage opportunities are, which, you know, what Simi mentioned. And we also um, realized that very often a lot of understanding is kind of either talking about where innovation will grow and kind of it looks at finance as one number and it doesn't really break down how uh, financing can be adopted. Like if you're looking at a uh, growth sector like renewables, the financing needs in that are very different as compared to something like green hydrogen, which is just emerging and financing needs and even the type of financing is very different. So um, what at least we have done for this report is, and the way we look at it is to sort of take stock what the last year has been like, which gives us a sense of, okay, this is where we are currently. And then we kind of look at what are the key sectors um, and we take that into two approaches. We look at it from a climate innovation focus and it's around energy, batteries, uh, agri, waste, you know, the sort of emergent sectors which are really going to drive climate action. We try and cover both. Um, today we'll call EVs and renewables as the maturing sectors. But then we also have up and coming sectors which we need to talk about. Like um, we only briefly looked at uh, adaptation in this report because there's not much being done about adaptation, but that's something which we want to look at further. So um, we really want to highlight and show and talk about where opportunity lies, because one of the things we have realized from our conversations is that um, there can be a bit of a dissonance between what funders want to invest in and what sort of climate action areas need to get invested in. And that's something which we want to kind of open the box a bit and then just give more information, give more perspective on how they can play in this space. And like Simi says, it also helps entrepreneurs to understand and see where they can take stock of how the areas they want to get into or the areas they are in, how that may evolve. Which is why I think the report basically has two sets of data analytics, right? So one is really around what climate investments are happening and which sectors of these investments happening and what the trends are. So that is one set of data. But we also spend a lot of time putting the investor data together. Who's investing in climate? Who are the equity investors? Are there other forms of capital coming in? Uh, and there's a lot of information and, and analysis around if there is a $120 billion gap every year in climate finance, who will fill that gap and what the color of that capital will be? Hmm. Okay. Tell us about sort of the top findings of the latest uh, report that you've highlighted. And one number that jumped out at me was something like 34% uh, reduction in funding for climate tech startups in yeah. 2022 versus the previous year. And and I'm thinking you're looking at calendar year or, yeah, calendar um, year, I guess. Yeah. You're right. I think one of the top findings this year was that equity investment in climate did slow down. So 2021, about $7 billion was invested in climate equity. Um, 2022 calendar year, it was about $4.7 uh, But we don't think that this was a 
sign of climate investment slowing down. I think it was really about how markets evolved because the previous year there were a large IPO, a large you know SPAC at Nasdaq that happened, and those one to two billion transactions just did not happen this year. But we believe that uh, the top finding was that even if equity slows down, there are other forms of capital who fill it in. So we so we actually think that climate funding overall, including debt, carbon financing, green bonds, actually increased about 12% this year. So total climate funding in India was about 22 billion. I think that's uh, that's one number that you know we think investors should focus on as well as climate businesses because it's a market that's growing. But the other thing is that the depth of the investment community is growing as well. So this year alone, more than 100 new climate investors, climate equity investors came into existence. So we count more than 300 investors was made at least one climate investment in the last two years. And these are not all new funds, Harry. Most of these are existing funds or even existing corporations who decided that they want to defocus on other areas and focus on climate instead. So it really feels like in the last year, every investor conversation we are having is we now want to invest in climate. And that's something that we think is both exciting and also uh, really a prediction that this space will become more interesting, more exciting over the years. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the interesting thing we uh, found this year was um, there was more diversity in where capital went into. Um, and that's a sign of a healthy, um, you know, emergent climate class. See, because climate action is new, a lot of climate funding is definitely going to be at a fairly early stage. But we identified much more sectors as compared to last year, which actually managed to get capital. One of the main things was like, for example, the EV ecosystem. Um, we believe, for example, EV OEMs is almost a consolidated market. There's, I think we identified 500 different EV brands, which actually brought some sort of EV product into the market, which is pretty high. It's crazy. Um, so the need right now is going to be on the EV ecosystem being built out. And there are significantly huge amounts of sectors and subsectors which have got funded. And I think that's what's uh, uh, the really good part about um, what we saw last year was we saw diversity from investors into other areas, which is really what Part of the uh, you know the call that we have been talking about that we need climate action to be more diversified and that involves getting more capital going into more sectors. These are going to be early stage because these are early stage industries, but you kind of have started that path towards that. So um, yeah, so I think um, it last year was skewed. I think twenty twenty one had a very skewed um, sort of fundraise uh, number, but uh, this year's was promising in terms of where we saw capital go. Mm. Give us a couple of examples of, uh, you know, this diversity that you're seeing, you know, new sectors where you're seeing interesting work happening and financing also coming up. For Entirely that. new sectors, Hari, right? So, uh, for example, waste and circularity was barely a sector in 2021 or before that. Uh, this year, it has received more than $100 million in investment, which is not huge, but coming from almost zero, it's quite a bit. Uh, also, this is one sector where we are seeing how when all things come together at the same time, for example, in this case, policy has become very aggressive in the last one year, both in terms of government trying to solve for the waste we generate and clearing existing landfills, uh, extended producer responsibilities or EPR norms around both plastic and e-waste, and many other policy factors that went in. Uh, at the same time, 
then leading to solving for business models and more companies coming in the sector, uh, which then brought more investors into the sector. So I think it's all things coming together at once. We just created a sector that simply did not even exist a year ago. And um, even some of the emerging sectors we identified were quite interesting. Like I think cumulatively, if you look at from uh, financing from what we call adaptation and carbon, which was trying to directly work on those spaces and even uh, something around water and pollution tech, um, we started seeing fairly interesting amounts of capital coming in, like some of the at least between, you know, uh, like maybe 50 million to about $10 million coming to these sectors, which for us are sectors to look out for down the line, because these are sectors where it's going to have a role in adaptation. Uh, and this is, this is like, at least towards the end of the decade, it's going to become sectors we need to really keep an eye on because it's not just going to be our mitigating emissions, it's about how do we live with the climate-changing environment. So those are sectors that, you know, which we, I think it's really good that something actually picked up there, but we'll have to see how it progresses further. What are some of the ways in which climate tech startups are trying to address uh, various uh, areas of this problem and which are the problems that they are choosing to focus on? Maybe you can talk about both the tech they're trying to develop and the areas that they're trying to tackle. Um, I'll take a first step and I'll pass it to Simi. So I think one of the things we have found is that, uh, especially compared to startups and larger, say, organizations, um, these are new sectors which require new innovations, which requires extensive R&D. Just the pace at which you get, you know, uh, people who have maybe been in industry coming out, developing that scale at which new R&D is coming in is really where we're seeing a lot of startups really evolving because A, um, most of the solutions we are seeing are B2B solutions. And we're looking at a lot of startups who are actually able to work on that whole frontier tech that we're looking at. And we're looking, what we're starting to see is a lot more interest from companies and industry to sort of partner with companies like this. So think of accelerator programs and industry relevant programs. So um, I think, uh, what startups are really solving for is um, really transformational innovation. Think something around the green hydrogen space, around batteries, for example. Just localizing, you know, cell production, uh, more elements of battery production in the country that's being driven significantly by startups, at least in understanding what sort of technology can work. So that's really the really strong role that we are seeing startups playing. The question is going to be, how does it scale up? And uh, even that, we're also seeing how startups, some startups are actually able to get onto that scale journey on their own, while some others may need to partner and work with. But it's really at that initial crux of really developing an innovation, which is what we need, where they play such a crucial role compared to other organizations. Yeah, I think maybe I can take a couple of examples of what we got very excited about in the last few months, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I think biofuels, for example, is headed the way of waste and circularity. Because one, India has a problem of agriculture residue and air pollution as a result of it. Uh, and you can increase farmers' income by doing something about agri-residue. So, which is one area where we are seeing startups come up with not just, you know, new business models, but just new ways of looking at things, right? Can we use, you know, bamboo waste in Northeast or a different kind of grass to produce fuel? Can we replace the boilers uh, in large cement companies who use coal today uh, with biofuel instead. So just different ways of looking at biofuels. I think that's one sector which is going the way waste and circularity and EVs have gone in terms of how quickly it could potentially go. Uh, but we are seeing innovation in areas like material sciences, for example, 
just creating new materials to replace plastic, to replace you know, insulation foams, mm. all of the different lab technologies that not only need long development cycles, but also need essentially folks to then partner with large customers who will deploy these solutions. And I think we are seeing entrepreneurs be more patient and understand that software is not going to solve for climate. Mm. You need to lab solutions. You need to build new chemistries, uh, new physical solutions. Uh, that will solve for it. Um, Shravan and I both believe that cooling potentially is one of the biggest growth areas of the next decade. Mm-hmm. Uh, because even this year, uh, we are going to reach what's called a wet bulb moment, which is that you know you are have temperatures where human beings simply can't survive outside, and air conditioning will go from being, you know, a luxury to a necessity. And there are many startups solving for that in many different ways, right? How to make air conditioning more efficient, cheaper, cheaper to run and use less electricity, but also make cold chains better because you need air conditioning to let let food not spoil, let pharmaceuticals not spoil. So many, many interesting startups working in that area that we feel very excited. And I think if we, just to add on, like if we had to boil down where the advantages are for a startup in tackling climate emissions, I think one definite advantage is they can afford to look at a problem and then see what sort of solution gets built out with that patience element that Simi spoke about. And another trend we have been seeing is um, how research, which may be done in in academia or in a lab scale, how startups are willing to look at how this research can be applied and scale at the pilot stage, which also requires patience. So that's the sort of um, diversity of how we attack problems that's coming up, which we're really seeing that startups are able to handle. Mm. Uh, and and I'm not sure if this is part of uh, the scope of your study, but did you anecdotally look at sort of the uh, type of entrepreneurs who are uh, starting these companies? What kinds of backgrounds, what kind of experience they're bringing? Uh, we do. In fact, I think as part of our work, not just this report, but given that we work with them to mentor them, to advise them on how to access capital, mm. I think we do 100 plus startups every year. And, and I think there is a diversity there, Harry. I would say that there's a, a distinct element of the science community or folks who are graduating from, say, big engineering colleges, uh, doing PhDs in different kinds of, uh, you know, material chemistries in terms of, let's say, renewables and all of that, uh, coming into this from a very science perspective, right? And these are, are young founders who are trying to do something new, build something that they think is solving for the planet. But but we are also seeing that this is a sector which also needs, especially for areas like, let's say, renewables, where you have to build billion-dollar projects. You need more seasoned, experienced entrepreneurs. And we're seeing several of those as well come into areas like, for example, plastic recycling, where we have seen you know, folks who are doing more traditional businesses uh, now expanding to this. And this is true for areas which need, let's say, putting a traditional manufacturing lens on um, you know, how to solve for climate, smart metering, grid management. These are all businesses that are essentially coming from what used to be very traditional businesses. So mm-hmm. you have both sets, young tech founders and experienced founders who want to diversify into this. Uh, and I know that it's a pretty nascent uh, ecosystem in India, the whole climate tech scene, but uh, any uh, early examples of uh, successful startups in the sense that have you come across companies where 
the founders have managed to get to a certain level of scale, found their you know so-called product market fit, etc., and you know they've started making significant levels of revenue, you know, which can kind of give us uh, a sense of what what the startup folks call as a playbook, uh, you know, yeah. from the climate scene. Well, the good thing is we have two successful playbooks, Harry. Right, because if you look at uh, renewables, solar was nascent and early in a startup 10 years ago. Hmm. But today, the top 10 solar companies are all billion dollar companies. If you look at all the top five renewable companies, they started as really small startups and grew to you know huge infrastructure businesses in the last 10 years. Uh, electric mobility uh, is doing more of the same, but I think what we're seeing in electric mobility is that they're taking the solar playbook, figuring out what did not work there and solving for it. Uh, I'll give you an example, right? One challenge that we've had in solar in the last 10 years is somebody needs to fund the assets. And well, there are many large funders who are willing to fund the large assets. Nobody wants to fund the early stage small assets, like the small renewable plants or say small solar plants for SMEs. EVs caught this problem early and they have built many, many alternative sources of asset financing to fund the electric vehicles that are getting deployed today, to fund charging or battery swapping. So EV, in fact, took the solar playbook and made it better. And, and I think that's essentially what's going to happen in industry after industry. That's what essentially agri-tech will do or biofuels will do or cooling will do, that they will take the climate playbook because I think the fundamentals remain the same. The fundamentals are that these are industries which take much longer to scale than what VCs are used to. These are industries which are asset heavy. So they need to deploy physical assets. And these are industries which are typically B2B because consumer adoption in India is still very low. So, so whichever climate segment you pick up today is essentially working with these three challenges. But the good thing is that there are two sectors who have solved this before then and actually matured now. Hmm. Yeah, since you mentioned consumer adoption being low, I was just going to ask if there are any interesting startups that are specifically ad- addressing uh, the consumer segment in any way. For example, in uh, on the software side, uh, last year I came across a couple of examples. One of them was very interesting where they had figured out uh, to add a simple uh, sort of almost like a one-click mm. at the checkout stage, you know, climbs, yeah. where you could pay to carbon neutralize your purchase uh, of anything, whether it's a flight ticket or a kurta or anything. Uh, in any interesting examples in you know in this uh, when looking at this uh, latest report? Yeah, so um, like you said, I think um, I would probably say clients is uh, if you keep aside EVs where you can purchase as a consumer, I would say clients is one of the really interesting companies that we have seen which have a B two C angle in place, but it is just quite nascent because if you kind of look at how. Um, the larger sectors that we look at, we kind of break it down into a few things which relate to society and people. So how do we consume energy? Renewables is there. Largely, you have this mix of being able to access, say, rooftop solar as your decentralized use. That's kind of been established for a while. And then how do I move and how do I, you know, uh, my whole transport angle? We have EVs, which is coming there. And then the other sectors, which are a lot more emergent. So if you imagine something like, how do we actually grow our own food? Um, yes, there are examples of urban farming, vertical farming, but they're not sort of self-sustained unless you're in a very particular situation. So a lot of these um, elements um, are really, if you really look at how individuals interact, 
it's really driven by B2B solutions. And I think Climbs, for example, is one such example, which really makes it easy for, and what I think we like about them is they're able to transition between being a software product, but having on-ground impact. And that sort of element is rare. We don't have enough of those coming in, but we're slowly starting to see, um, especially in the circularity space, which you know, traditionally using waste products, recycled products, and providing something to people has been part of that um, process. But we're trying to see, but it's always had this issue that it's not exactly a higher quality product as compared to what it would be if it was made from a virgin material. But there's a really interesting uh, company which makes, I think they're the first sunglass company to make uh, uh, sunglasses out of chips packets. It's called Ashaya out of Pune. And that is really interesting because now you're getting a very traditional, you know, sort of like consumer product and it's being done in a completely different way. But it's slowly, it's it's a very slow thing because like Simi said, um, you know, patients, it takes a long time to get to where they have to get to. And really a lot of the elements that we need to solve for all the wider, are the wider infrastructure elements and that requires a B2B angle. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, through the course of this conversation, you've mentioned some of these things that it takes time and a lot of the infrastructure is just not there, has to be built. Uh, so can you kind of, you know, pull that all together and to your mind, what are some of the biggest challenges that climate tech startups in India face today? Um, so I think uh, scaling up. Mm-hmm. A lot of technologies that we need to solve for climate exist. But India is a you know a billion plus people economy, which means that you have to solve not just for the niche by building hydroponics, that's 4x the price, but you have to solve for the masses and you solve for a large population, which essentially means that you have to build at scale and you have to have both the organization capacity and capital to do that. So capital is definitely one challenge, Harry. Uh, we established last year that it's about a trillion dollar gap between now and 2030, which means now about $120 billion a year. We are currently at about $22 billion, which means that if climate tech is to scale, you still have $100 billion a year gap, if not more. So that's one. I think India's other problem that all climate tech entrepreneurs face is that we as a country have to grapple with the fact that we are a growing economy, which means that our emissions will naturally continue to grow. Uh, People will need you know access to more everything right more cooling more healthcare more income generating activities which means more emissions uh, but at the same time you have to manage emissions to go to as near zero as possible so, so the challenge that climate tech businesses have is how do you balance these two axes how do you essentially solve for a country which doesn't always have the purchasing power and also doesn't have the ability to reduce emissions because you're growing and you need to continue to increase emissions to a certain level while balancing the climate action. So, so that, I think, is the dichotomy that we deal with as a country. And just to kind of add on to that, uh, there's two points I want to mention. One is India does not have an innovator problem. We have a scale problem. We don't have a problem in new ideas being developed. We have a problem in those new ideas becoming scaled. And part of the work that we're doing around access is really around trying to make that part and journey effectively. The other part is something which I think it's something we're going to have to see come in in some time, which is the whole climate inequality angle, wherein larger segments, uh, more high earning segments of the population are um, basically utilizing climate emissions at a significantly higher level as compared to lower segments of the population. And if you kind of look at affordability, 
a lot of the solutions are very targeted at that uh, segment of the population which can afford it. But we have maybe what I think it's one. Uh, I keep forgetting the number of our total population, but it's at least maybe about 600, 700 million people who are com- who come under the bottom 50%. We're not building for them very much. We may be doing certain things, say, around um, making agri uh, more, you know, uh, driven by re- uh, decentralized renewable energy that could have a correlation for the smaller segment, but it's in a very specific application. So we're going to see the need to ultimately build for these different population segments, which is very driven by how do we address climate inequality. And this is something which, look, today we're just starting out, we're just trying to establish these sectors becoming you know, thriving and growing sectors. But over time, we'll have to see on how it becomes applicable right across the spectrum. Hmm. And Simi, this uh, $100 billion number that I thought you just mentioned, uh, is this an annual gap for the Indian economy for climate tech financing? That's right. So we believe that Indian economy, all the sectors that need to see climate action, uh, need about $120 billion a year, every year until 2030. Wow. And we're at 22. So it's, it's at least a $100 billion gap. It's not just equity. It's when you club together all your forms of financing. So, which is what also makes it interesting because there's just many more ways in which you can potentially finance uh, climate action in India. Hmm. So this is uh, the kind of investment required from all stakeholders, corporate businesses, government. Uh, well, not government, actually. So we focus in our report very specifically, Hari, on private investments. Hmm. And that was intentional because we felt that there are far too much research out there that talks about the government should do something. Hmm. So we focus in on what the private businesses need to invest in and where the private investment needs to go in. But this essentially includes all forms of capital which means debt, equity, green bonds, carbon, uh, all of that. Uh, okay, so I was just saying, you, you one of the things you mentioned earlier on was uh, in 2022, some 100 odd new investors came into the ecosystem making at least one investment each. Did I get, get that correctly? So, we got it, right? 130 new investors. Hmm. So, so, so in the context, I mean, what are some of the most interesting uh, trends or initiatives that you saw in 2022 in terms of uh, bridge, bridging this climate tech uh, financing gap? Uh, so I guess one, there's just a lot more investors out there. Mm. And that's true, not just of equity investors, Harry, but all forms of capital. Mm. This includes uh, Indian banks and lenders actually uh, coming in to fund large projects. Uh, development finance institutions, the likes of ADP and IFC making significant commitments to solving for climate action in India. Mm. Um and corporations emerging as a big sector, right? So when we when we think of investors, we often think of VCs and Bs, but that's not always the color of capital in climate. There are lots of corporate VCs, strategic investors putting in capital. Uh, and, and we believe that this will continue to be the case going forward as well, that capital for climate will not come through any one source like equity, but like the combination of patient money coming from both debt and equity. Mm. Uh, we also uh, found something very interesting, Hari, is that you know the structures themselves don't really matter as much. For example, in 2021, green bonds were almost six, seven billion dollars of investment. They, for many reasons, were not a prominent investment area in 2022. But that did not stop other forms of capital, like just project finance loans, for example, coming in and filling that gap. So in that sense, I think investors care less about what form they deploy the capital in, 
but there is enough capital appetite available uh, to invest in climate. Okay. Um, to end the conversation, tell us a bit about uh, what's next that's interesting at Climax itself. What are some of the projects that you're all thinking about that you would like to uh, at least make a start on uh, in 2023 and so on? Sure. Um, I'll I'll just start off and uh, I'll let Simi come in for the next one, like a curtain and veil. Um, so we want to double down on how do we make this sort of research more actionable. So we are going to be doing a series of deep dives on um, around four key sectors, which we think are you know the most significant ones to really understand what is the gap in financing. And it kind of goes back to something we were speaking about earlier, where there is a difference at different stages for different types of capital to come in. At early stage innovation, it could be more risk capital, but then when you're at scale, you're just looking to access debt, for example, or public markets. So um, we want to do a deep dive. We're going to be doing a series of deep dives around uh, key, four key areas, around energy transition, around the EV space, around mobility in general, around food and agri, and around the built environment, which was in, going to include adaptation. And what we want to do there is we want to localize more into understanding what are the gaps in financing uh, across those value chains. So if you look at something like energy transition, um, really good in generation, but then as we keep coming to distribution towards how consumers consume it, there's a lot more uh, need for the type of financing to go in and it's a lot less developed to market. So we want to take a value chain perspective and really break down at different stages. What is the gap in financing and what sort of financing may be required for addressing those gaps until this 2030 horizon? Um, I think the other thing I'll actually let Simi talk about, which is more about what we want to do as part of our whole uh, debt and asset leasing program, because we are seeing a huge amount of opportunity there. Sure, Shravan. So I think, Hari, uh, we've always believed that research is only one part of how we solve for this huge gap. Right? And you have to build new structures. And as climate, we believe that if we can run pilots on new structures and prove that those work, then other funders would naturally crowd in and scale that sector. And the first such structure we're working on is the whole asset financing. Um, yes, asset financing already exists in areas like electric mobility today. But if you were to fund, let's say, assets for cooling or circular economy or, the, or let's say biofuels, those funding opportunities are just not there. So we want to, we're just piloting an asset leasing program focused on edge climate sectors, as we call them. Uh, including on-farm productivity and decentralized renewable energy uses apart from just building a solar plant and we want to scale that but taking an ecosystem approach to it right we want to work with other ecosystem players uh, be it investors be it entrepreneurs to figure out where the gaps are and how we can build pilots to solve for them that can eventually scale so that's the crowding in effect that we want to kickstart through these pilots Okay, very nice. Uh, lovely update uh, on your latest work. Uh, thank you again, both of you, for making time for me. I definitely hope to keep the conversation going. Thanks, sir. Uh, thanks for having us, Harry. It's always great to talk to you. That's it for this conversation. I hope you found it interesting. You can find all our podcasts at ForbesIndia.com and on your favorite podcast app. I'm Hari Arakli. Thank you for listening.